This is the Tribune Audio Network. This episode of Eat It Virginia is brought to you by your locally owned and operated McDonald's restaurants. The McRib is back October 14th. Wait a minute, you've never been to La Mer? Oh, no. Here's the problem. No, 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 no. You grew up in Richmond. That's it. This interview's over. I've been to TJ's and I've been we're to done. the brunch. Actually, so we're not doing a podcast anymore. <laughs> I mean, like, this is done. Everybody out. Welcome to episode four. It's March 25th, and we are talking to Chauncey, who is the general manager of La Mer. In this podcast, we learn about service standards. We learn that Scott, well, we learn a lot about Scott. Get ready for it. Episode four, Eat at Virginia. Hello and welcome to Eat It Virginia. I'm Scott and along with my co-host, the star of Eat It Virginia, Roby Martin. Hello, Roby. Oh my gosh, Scott. Oh my gosh. You're the star. Oh, not, you know that's not the case. Actually, Booth's the star. Booth you, is the star. We will hear from Booth in just a little bit. I cannot wait. I need wine. We're also going to hear from Chauncey Jenkins, who's the general manager of La Mer. Such a good dude. Oh man. The Ivy League of Service Colleges is what he went to, literally. He brought the knowledge, big time. So much. I mean, I, lear- I actually learned about a, where the knife goes. Well, you did, too. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of surprised you're here today. Uh, why? Because I saw all these beautiful photos you were posting from Charleston, South Carolina, at the Charleston Food and Wine Festival, and I didn't think you were going to come back. I almost stayed. I almost stayed. So, obviously, you experienced a lot of different food, drink, uh, events. What's the headline coming out of Charleston? Everyone should braise their fingerling potatoes and sour beer. Mm, that sounds delicious. It's, it was, I, I, you know what? I don't even understand it. Why I've never thought about that, actually. Sour beer, potatoes, fingerlings, preferably, feta cheese, everything amazing. Did all the Virginia chefs uh, represent well down there? They truly, those guys, I mean, that's a lot of hard work to get down there and do all that stuff. Joy Crump wrestling with blue crabs. Like staring at water in Charleston, like physically wrestling them. I saw that on your Instagram stories. So great. She's also very cute. If you've never been to that restaurant in Fredericksburg, you should go. Before we get into the interviews this week, I want to talk about Style Weekly naming Long Oven the restaurant of the year. You have opinions? Oh, are you surprised? So I don't really know how I, well, I mean, I know how I feel about this. So I don't think that they, okay. I got to preface this with I really like the people at Style. I wrote for Style for years. I was the food critic for Style Weekly for a very, very long period of time. Under Devron Timberlake, under Brandon Fox, even Brent Baldwin, who is now the current editor. All amazing human beings. I think that, I think that saying that it was too expensive in a review that happened roughly, let's say, three months, four months ago, and then turning around and saying that it's the restaurant of the year is not, it's just not cool. It's just not cool. It's almost like they're trying to make up for maybe faultly having it as too expensive previously. So in your opinion, too expensive makes it not the restaurant of the year. Okay, so I think that they tried to, and they and they did, they, they didn't try. Style Weekly. Okay. They attempted to um, say that half or more of the Richmond dining community couldn't afford it. So that's what the review essentially said. Okay. And then, of course, they go even for, further now and they say that it's the restaurant of the year, which I'm, 
it's not it's not that expensive unless you do the tasting menu and then that is pricey but that's a tasting menu and and that's a long period of time of your life and it probably should be an occasion sure it's not every saturday however you can pop in there at the bar and do an every saturday bar menu a la carte danny is there making amazing aperol spritzes so to be clear because i know you're going to bring this up my tasting menu experience was not was not great and this was about what time period of since they opened over the summer? Is that right? Uh, yeah. And so, how far into the opening did you have your tasting menu? So experience? I know exactly when it was because okay. we went for my birthday, and oh. it was the end of October. And there were four of us. Actually, actually, well, the beginning of November, the first week of November. Um, there were four of us, and it was rough at best, rough, 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 rough. Um, I and but but. If I pull forward a little bit more on that, they actually reached out to me about it because they knew that it was rough that night. Okay. And I don't think my I was the only one that had a poor dining experience. And I think that the awareness that they show is just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And to get to take that even further than that, we are not so the individuals that own Long Oven are Andrew Manning, Patrick Phelan, and his wife Megan. And she does the desserts, and the two gentlemen are, I guess, running the kitchen. Okay. And I think they experienced a ton of lumps on the night that we were there. Somebody dropped a knife into their foot. Ah. Yeah. Someone in the kitchen. Yeah. So that person had to go to the hospital. Like there was a lot of It was other a different things. kind of night. It was apparently anything that go could go wrong went wrong. An unfortunate night for you to go and, and have the experience. Yeah. I wasn't the only one who sits in a role similar to mine that was there. And I think that all of us saw where a restaurant can take a turn based on things that are going behind the scenes that nobody knows about. Sure. And it could go downhill quickly. There was a large party in the bar, one bartender, not easy to handle. I mean, he tried, but it was, it, it clearly was, there were some struggles. I've heard from a few friends who have been, they've all had wonderful experience. So hopefully the things, things are back on track or that was just a, a, poor, a bad night for them. I think it was a blip. Yeah. So my previous experiences with Long Oven have been at Subrosa in the pop-up that they had and they, they're revelatory in, in, in my opinion. Also far less expensive as the tasting menu we did, but great, great meals. And the wine pairings have always been dead on. So while I think that they're deserved of a restaurant of the year award, perhaps, I don't know, is it style weekly that could go from one space to another space and say that? Does that make sense? Did you hear from any of your uh, friends or former colleagues at style about the decision? No, they don't counsel me. <laughs> and I don't blame them, actually, because, because you're probably like, uh, no, dude, don't talk to me. You had me. your time. Yeah, you're, you've been here. Get away. We had some big restaurant news this week. We did. And uh, people have some mixed feelings about it, but hopefully we'll set the record straight, or at least as best we can. I'm a little sad. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I don't know. It's been open for a long time. We're discussing Strawberry Street Cafe here and the fact that they are they're closing, technically, but rebranding. Well, it's closing. I mean, it's prob well, we don't know what's going to happen in that space, but I'm going to I'm going to assume that it's not going to be Strawberry Street Cafe Part Two. It's going to be someone's new vision of a restaurant. I th it's it's definitely, or at least from what I understand, because again, you're right, we don't know. It is going to be a pretty new vision with new people behind all of the major positions. For those of you who don't know, Strawberry Street Cafe has been a Richmond institution for decades on Strawberry Street and the Fan. 1976, I believe, is when it opened, and it has that bathtub salad bar. The which iconic bathtub, which we use in every news headline ever written about the place. Ever. 
And I got to say, ick. Your face is not... Ick. Yeah. Do you want to eat out of your own bathtub? I, I don't. You know, it's been a while since I've been to Strawberry Street Cafe, to be honest with you. And that seems to be sort of the overall feeling when we when we posted the news on Channel 6's website uh, earlier this week. It was, oh, I'm so sad it's closing. I haven't been there in forever, but I'm so sad it's closing. That is a problem, I think, that happens a lot in Richmond. Everybody gets all up in arms when something goes. And I'm like, well, did you go? Yeah. Like, when was the last time you were at Strawberry Street? It's been a bit. This sounds like it might be something you want to talk a little bit more in it's depth coming about later. later in the episode. So we'll move it's on to something else. French fries. I want to add two places to our French fry list. Man, you're getting good with this list thing. Cobra Cabana. Yeah, I hear. And Henrico County Public Schools. Wow. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, okay, I didn't see that coming. I mentioned this to my family. And just so you know, Cobra Cabana is not in the same realm as Henrico County Public Schools because you have to actually go to school at the public school to go get french fries there where you do not have to be in school at Henrico County Public Schools to go to Cobra Cabana. When I asked my daughter the best French fries she's ever had, she mentioned that her school was it, and it was the bomb, and people would buy five trays at a time, and no one could figure out the secret. So Andy Jenks, if you're listening, can you tweet us at Eat Up Virginia, the secret to the French fries? Andy, we need to know. Sadie would like to know. Coming up a little later uh, in the podcast, we're able to know we're going to have Chauncey Jenkins in from La Mer. We do. One of the finest restaurants in the city. Uh, yeah, actually, well, in like all sorts of, why can't I talk about how good it is? It's just really good, guys. Very, very good. Also, great happy hour. Speaking of happy hour, we have Booth here. All right, so let's just say that I have a buddy who knows a lot about wine. Okay. I mean, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know, right? But I'm going over to their house, and I want to bring a bottle with me. Yeah. Do you have a wine for that? <laughs> Of course. All right, so tell me what kind of wine you have for that. All right, so this is a new wine to the market that I'm really excited about, and it's it's a blend that you don't see very often. It's Malbec and Pinot Noir blended together. Why don't you see that very often? Uh, it's just out of the ordinary. I think Malbec has become so famous and popular in the last decade or so for uh, well, it's it's really brought Argentina like to the forefront of of wine industries. Um, is Malbec mostly from Argentina? Uh, well, originally it's from France, okay. but. Um, but it's sort of become famous uh, through Argentina. Um, so I think, I don't know, I think, I think some winemakers um, just don't want to drink heavy wines all the time. So, so they like lighter bodied stuff that's a little easier to drink uh, more of, um, which I can so relate to. So it's quantity. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. I don't know. This I is like a theory it. I have. When so you put Malbec and Pinot Noir together, it's quantity. <laughs> so, uh, I'm yeah. into that. And what should we be tasting with this one? So it's actually 70% Pinot Noir. But the Malbec is so intense that it, it almost shines a little bit brighter um, in the blend. So, so it's, it's kind of like a Malbec that's been restrained a little bit, but it's also kind of like a Pinot Noir that's been beefed up, added with, with a little added weight. Um, so Malbec always has a spiciness, like uh, black pepper. Then Pinot Noir always has those kind of lighter, uh, fresher, kind of cherry flavors. It's the sweet and sour sauce of wine. It's like me there and you, you sweet and sour. I'm and the sweet. sweet one. Fits oh, wait. Occasion. Oh, wait. Nice. So that's my that's my. Here's these two grapes together. Wine snob friend, you don't see this often. Yeah, this might be a first for almost everybody. And what was the name really? again? Really. Uh, so yeah. So this is um, actually a, a French winemaker named Andre Ostertag. He's very famous uh, for doing everything biodynamically, kind of this organic, um, this theory of organic um, viticulture. Uh, he started a project in Chile uh, in 2005 with a Chilean man. Um, so the brand they started is called Monsecano, uh, which comes from around Casablanca, which is near Santiago. Um, so Monsecano Migrante 
It's uh, the word for migrant, believe it or not. And the oh. label looks like, what's on the label? Just so people can see it when they go. Oh, it's a it's pretty a little like water. It's, it's a rooster. rooster. Yeah. yeah. Right. And where can I get this wine? So While you're pouring me some. Uh, yeah, get, some. I mean, we might as well get involved. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Barrel Thief, of course. Barrel Thief, of course. And what would this run me price-wise if so I'm going to impress my wine snob friend? Am I impressing them with high prices or low prices? We're impressing them this time with a medium price. <laughs> with a medium 22, price? It's about 22 bucks. Ah, $22? Yeah. That's a pretty good little price for for impress your wine friend. Yeah. Your, your friend that's not a snob. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> what do you think, Scott? Uh, it's delicious. I asked this question of you last time you were here. You said this was a rare wine, so I'm guessing it's hard to find in Virginia from like a comparable Virginia wine. Oh, this is good. I I'm don't. Guessing. I would be really confident saying that no Virginia winemakers are blending these two grapes together. But um, there is Pinot Noir out in the western part of the state, uh, and Keita Ridge grows uh, grows some gorgeous the hills winery. Out there. This is yeah. really good. Very yeah, cool. Very so, guys, if you are going to Barrel Thief, you're going to get the Migrante. 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 All right, so cheers, Booth. Thanks so much. Cheers, thanks. So, Roby. Yes, Scott. It's not, it's, not, <laughs> it's not polite to talk about ages, but we're going to talk about ages right now. Okay. The country is celebrating a very important birthday. It's the 40th anniversary of the first Happy Meal. Do you remember your first time? Well, it, I feel a Happy Meal. I gotta say this: the Happy Meal as as old as I am. Aww. I know you both age so gracefully. Oh, that's so good. The chicken nuggets still do look good, don't they? Always. So tell us what uh, McDonald's is doing to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Happy Meal. The same thing I got when I turned 40. A surprise party. They're Ooh. doing a surprise Happy Meal. So what does that entail? And t- uh, toys. What kind of toys? Surprise. All right. They're toys from the last 40 years. Ooh, do you remember what the toys were when we were kids? I don't know, but I'm crossing my fingers for a Muppet baby. Was, it, was there an E.T. toy or a Star Wars? That's what I liked when I was E.T. phone home toy? That, that's the one. Oh, Star Wars. Who do you like? In Star Wars? Yes. Han Solo. Duh. Why are you even asking that question? So you want a Han Solo toy? Absolutely. So you know when you can get one? Tell me. If if that's the surprise, and I'm not going to spoil the surprise, on November the 7th is when they're going to start the 40th anniversary with all of the surprise toys from the last 40 years. Welcome back. We are with Chauncey Jenkins today. Chauncey is from Richmond, went to Richmond Community High, and then traveled to Cornell where he learned the ins and outs of the service industry, hotels, once at the Four Seasons, now has brought it back to La Mer here in Richmond at the Jefferson. You've been at the Jefferson for seven years. Yeah, seven years. Yes, and you started, like, intrinsically in, like, in, I don't want to say at the lower, at lower levels, but you started at, like, all the detail, like, to get to where you are. Right, yeah, th- definitely. We, so even, even before then, I interned as a, as a host over, like, over one of the winter sessions, and I was a host in TJ's, which was super fun. And then you were the assistant general manager of TJ's. I ended up being the assistant general okay. manager of TJ's. That was, so I moved through as assistant director of housekeeping, moved to assistant director in TJ's, or I guess assistant manager, I uh, worked under my good friend Jonathan Kibalaski. Yes. Over at River City Roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, huge, huge shout out to him. Uh, without him, 
my beer knowledge would have started much later. I will, I will tell you that. He got me a jump start on that. And craft cocktails as well. You were there during the change of the chef. Mm-hmm. So Walter Bundy was there for, let's just say, a million and two years. And mm-hmm. now we have Patrick Willis. Yes. Yes. So we are we are here with, with Patrick. And Patrick is a phenomenal chef. Um, I have to know how the difference is at La Mer. Um, I mean, I've obviously both good. I mean, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. But, like, does the kitchen run differently? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Just so you guys know, the kitchen at La Mer is like the size of a small gymnasium. I would so. say I would say that everything runs seamlessly <laughs> um, on an every on an everyday on an everyday. But basis. different types of seams. I would I wouldn't I wouldn't say so. I don't like to I don't like to compare and, and contrast in that in that way. I do think that there's always new energy that matters, and having both myself. And uh, Patrick come in, and we have a lot more of a clean slate to operate from and really define where we want Lemaire to go. Um, so when I look at it now, I kind of, not, not so much as I, I don't want to look at the past, but I'm pretty much, a, we, we are here in the present moment. And what does Lemaire mean to people right now, like at, at this very moment? And what can we be doing? And I think I think Willis is working on some fun things for that. He's a good dude. Okay, so I need to hear it from your words. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I do, and probably maybe I shouldn't. But can I wear jeans at La Mer? You can wear jeans at La Mer. Because you know, everybody forever thought it was like, get dressed up, crab cake, mm-hmm. steak, crab cake, crab cake. No, you can you can definitely Which is wear, what I eat at wear La Mer, jeans at La Mer. Um, I would make sure that... They come from Shaco. Shaco. <laughs> Keeping it local. This podcast is brought to you by. <laughs> oh, so they have this great thing they have going on at La Mer right now, where the bourbon. And I, when Monday he said night, Monday night flight night, yeah, it's not. Ex- it, it's actually accessible. Is like it's almost stupid how good the deal is. I mean, I hate to say that. I don't. I mean, I'm gonna say that because it's ridiculous how yeah, good it is. So accessibility is like a little different word for you guys over there at La Mer on Monday right now because mm-hmm. you all are really killing it with the bourbon flights. Yeah, it's fun. I want to. I want to get more people in. I mean, we have two of our own barrels that that we've selected. So, and we're we're getting another barrel this year. So we're getting our own barrel of Woodford Reserve. We'll be the first place in Virginia to have that. I don't understand why you're you you love bourbon. Why are you looking at me like I have a grown a second head? I'm sad. Why? Because like I've been in Richmond this all this time and I haven't experienced this yet. This just started. Really? So you um you this just started at um yeah we just started. So we're we're focusing a lot and I had to go off, but I do. Wait, I mean you've never been to Lemaire? Oh no. <laughs> Here's the problem. No, 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 You grew up in Richmond. That's it. This interview's over. I've been to TJ's, and I've been we're to done. the brunch. Actually, so we're not doing a podcast anymore. <laughs> I mean, like, this is done. Everybody out. <laughs> Seriously? Well, we're talking about how, you know, when you grew up here, it's, it's you have a different feeling about the restaurant. Chauncey, if you were on a desert island, and you were yeah. going to be with Roby Martin or with Scott Wise, which one but would I, that what be? What I'm saying is... Let me answer that question for you. It would be <laughs> Roby Martin, because she goes to the mayor. But what I'm saying is, like, for me, it's like, you're getting married, go to La Mer. You're graduated high school, go to La Mer. Like, it's, it, for me, it's like That's a celebratory it. thing. That's what I just asked. Can I wear jeans? Well, all right, you just asked it. I haven't oh. had a chance to go to La Mer since you asked <laughs> well, that question. Wear your jeans and go drink some bourbon on Monday yeah. night. I'm going to. No, we do. I mean, we do happy hour. Jeez. <laughs> we 
do happy hour seven days a week. Um, Monday also, through. something you should know about this happy hour. Go through it because it's... Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah, we're, so happy hour seven days, uh, Monday through Friday are themed. Thursdays being a martini flight night with uh, kind of like three different martinis. Sounds dangerous. That we come out and bring out. Uber. Yeah, so that's so that's going to be fun. Not drunk driving, just dangerous in general. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I did. I just said like if it was going to be dangerous, at least somebody else. To my liver. Yes. Well, and good. Then, and then Friday is Cosmos and Manhattan. Right. Um, or interchangeably, sometimes old fashions for for that night too. In your role in hospitality, you're dealing with people from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of geographic backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds. When people come to La Mer and they and they speak with you at the hotel, speak with you, and they say, "What do we do in Richmond? What's like your go-to like itinerary?" I first. You, see, you see a lot of tourists. I do. I first try to figure out who you are. I don't have a. I don't have a blanket itinerary for folks because that's not how hospitality should work. It should really be where. Where can I meet you in your moment of need? I, what I will tell you though is most people ask me a lot about where they can find jazz, and I'm sorry. You get a, people are like, I need some jazz. Yes. People, there, there are a lot of. Well, I need traveling. some jazz. I what need do you some tell jazz them? too. <laughs> yeah, so normally vagabond uh, the rabbit hole on Wednesdays. Uh, usually, you can find Mondays and Tuesdays at the Hofheimer. Of course, Emilio's on Fridays has been a staple. Uh, so that's those are the first places. And then I get to talk about all of the lovely uh, jazz artists that are coming from here. Uh, everyone from, well, I guess. Reggie, Reggie is both classically trained. So Reggie Pace, John Hulley, oh, yeah. um, Devon, Marcus Tenney, like all those folks. So I get to tell them that, hey, you know, there are a lot of folks that are here. They're really, really great. Corey Fonville, all the Butcher Brown guys. All the Butcher Brown yeah. guys, yeah. All, all our Butcher Brown OBS guys are, are here and pretty solid. Um, but after that, I first want to find out where they want to eat, uh, what, what few things that they do. I tell them some must-haves. It's definitely... You need to try Cezanne. Uh, Cezanne and Cezanne Market, uh, particularly because Adam, well, one, Adam makes some fantastic pastrami ribs, and I will shout them out every time <laughs> because they're awesome. But that, that chicken liver mousse over there is beautiful. And uh, Chris Packard, who's doing the wine program on the other side, is phenomenal as well. Um, of course, I tell folks that they have to go to brunch at the Jefferson if they haven't. So definitely do that. At Tredegar Ironworks, the Valentine Museum is is a place that I hadn't even been to the Valentine Museum. And I walked in there and there's so much history there. It's beautiful. Um, it's just a great place to check out. Bird Park. Bird Park in the summertime. I, I'm particularly fond of the paddle boats. I don't know how often they bring them out, but right. that's something that... As soon as it gets warm. Yeah. And now they have a concession stand. They do. So you can snack and paddle. And then Sa Sa Sally Bell's is kind of over there. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. So you could sandwich and snack and paddle. That's a fond childhood memory for me, and I don't think enough people get that experience. You you grew up near the park? Mm -hmm. I, grew up, I grew up over in the Randolph area. So kind of in Randolph when my parents lived in Randolph, and then my grandmother lived in Carver, so... When they were at work, I was in Carver hang, hanging out with them. <laughs> what were the neighborhoods like um, when you were growing up? <laughs> <laughs> what were the neighborhoods like? Oh, man. So pre-gentrification. <laughs> now, they, were, they weren't necessarily neighborhoods that people frequented, that, uh, or at least people that didn't look like me frequented. I will, I will tell you that. Uh, there were a little rough 
but they were still they were fun though you because you knew everyone i don't think people have that same i mean maybe maybe not me now you know we where do you live, live now in, i live over in jackson Florida. okay so you know i'm in an i'm in an apartment complex now i very rarely see anybody you know i, I see more people just kind of like walking on the street than actually in the place but you know in the neighborhoods people were actually out in the neighborhood in the street you know messing messing around with the garden hose. Like, we didn't, you know, if you didn't have, like, a little, like, sprinkler, you had your little garden hose playing around, little super soakers and things like that, you knew the people in your neighborhood and, and were invested in it, and the people in your neighborhood looked out for you. That was that was a beautiful thing. Like, there was an actual sense of community, even though sometimes when you talk about it, it seems like it's very disjointed. Um, but, yeah, that they, it was tough. Like, they weren't easy neighborhoods to be in, definitely. And you knew how you had to had to maneuver to remain safe and to uh, preserve yourself. But there's so there's so much to be said about meeting. I mean, I have friends, I have friends now that I've known since I was what maybe like six or so. We don't we don't speak extremely often, but I always check in and make sure that they're they're doing well. And that's that's beautiful. That's what almost like thirty. So you years you still have friends in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That you check in with and have check. Now, mm-hmm. do do your parents or your grandmother still live in the same area? My grandmother doesn't. My grandmother lives over by, uh, like, right outside of Carytown. So we moved her. We moved her on, <laughs> on purpose. We, you know, because we didn't we didn't want her to be over there in that kind of a neighborhood and that apartment by itself. It was it was a little a little interesting. I mean, I remember walking across that apartment when I was young, and like a bullet came through the ceiling, like went past my face into the wall. So, you know, you, you, my grandma was getting old, old, older. She, you know, she's almost 90 at this point. So, and still up and running around and always wants to cook for me every time I see her. You got to have my grandmother's mac and cheese. And if you, as soon as you sit down on that couch, Perfect. you will fall asleep. So <laughs> please make sure that if you come we to bring eat, a sleeping bag. Okay, yeah, okay good, good. So, uh, back to the neighborhood. No, um, I'm still at the mac and cheese. I know, well, we, um... <laughs> You mentioned uh, the gentrification. How do you see where things have come in the last two decades? I think I would love, especially people kind of going in, into new communities, to find out at least the history of kind of what's going on. Like my um, my dad lived lived across the street from where Cezanne is, and I remember first talking about it, and Jay is like, "Oh no, I gotta meet him. I gotta talk to him," and really just like met my dad <laughs> and then they just talked back and forth and he wanted to know kind of everything that happened over there who who ran stuff over there i think there's a beautiful thing of people that want to respect like the history of that place and are advocates for it i think richmond has come a long way though uh, what i would love to see consistently is people that take concepts of food, especially if it's from a certain ethnic um, style, to actually make it more than just the name and the restaurant looks like this, but for it to actually, the concept to actually flow all the way through to the ingredients that they're using. And I think food history is important. Like, if you you look at uh, Eduardo Jordan's uh, June Baby. Sure. Like if you go to his web, if you go to that website, there's an encyclopedia on there, and it ta- and it takes you through like every single ingredient that they have and like where it comes from. I think things like that are extremely important and beautiful. 
Um, He's seen a lot of success with June Baby and has has opened a second restaurant because of his successful trajectory. And I think it has a lot to do with the education. Yeah, I mean, because who's, like, doing a southern restaurant in, like, Pacific Northwest? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. That's crazy. That's awesome. But for me, uh, it's a lot of, I want to see more, I want to see more communication um, with these kind of, like, subgenres, particularly, like, subgenres of music and food. There are so many people that don't actually intersect with each other, and that's kind of why I bring a black restaurant experience. I was talking to my mom every day. Uh, we so we lived over in Norton, and right there on the corner was the it was called the corner that ended up being Magpie later on. But Big Herm was the cook over at the corner, and I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and she was like, "Yeah, go and tell Big Herm that." <laughs> No. Is your mom? Yeah, definitely. He's I mean, a character. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. So to, so to kind of see those things and have people interacting with different backgrounds and different kind of like subgenres of food, music, art, because I feel like that's the thing that is really pushing this city forward, or at least bringing a lot of natural or national attention. And I think what needs to happen more is just folk go to things that they wouldn't actually be there. And I think a lot of that has to do with how do you get that information to people in an accessible way. Um, in a respectful way. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the hard part that I, I come across, you know, like we're going back to how do what do we tell people to do? Sometimes it's still kind of dependent on, well, what night is mm-hmm. it? You know, the only thing that might be open is a restaurant, but if you're here on a Monday, Ooh, good luck. <laughs> Sunday or Monday. <laughs> you know, mm. good, good luck. I don't, I don't know what they, I don't know what they do. La Mer is delicious. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So the, those things. That's what I would like to see. Um, I was creeping on your Instagram uh, the last couple of days. Scott is actually a closet stalker. I would like you to know this. And so he, when he says he's creeping on your Instagram, he's about to ask you some crazy detailed <laughs> question. We're we're all uh, we're all closet stalkers. I need to learn a lot more about Virginia wine. Everybody does. Okay. So, <laughs> so can, there's that. The end. What, what's the headline coming out of Virginia wine? Virginia wine, particularly. I would say that you should start with the grapes that we all know are, are doing well or have been for quite some time. So Cabernet Franc, Viognier, uh, particularly, just as the the ones that kind of broke ground. What I will tell you after that is try some beautiful Petit Verdot's. Uh, Nebbiolo is growing uh, fantastically here. Luca, Luca over at Barbersville is doing some really fun stuff with Nebbiolo. But Petit Mansang might be like, the hot, beautiful. It clearly is the, like the hot yeah, thing the, right the now. One, it's the, the governor's, governor's cup. cup. Yeah, I can tell you, I've tried a, I've tried a bone dry petite man saying from uh, Williamsburg Winery. Uh, Jeff's petite man saying over at Glen Manor, which is more of a dessert wine, was amazing. Uh, ben Jordan from Early Mountain. We had a dinner. He paired Petit Mansang with a strip loin. <laughs> that dinner that we did with Ben Jordan and mm-hmm. and Harper. I mean. Holy moly, those wines. So Ben, so, I mean, we hang out, Chauncey and I do, on occasion, and we happen to be at a dinner together with Early Mountain, which is a Virginia wine um, producer, Patrick, which obviously is your chef at La Mer, and then Harper from Harper's Table, and they all got together, and that petite man sang... The alluvium, which I know is a red wine, but mm-hmm. yummo. Yeah, alluvium is, is awesome too. So when I when I tell people to get into Virginia wine, start with like those those big groups. But definitely check out. I think Petit Man saying has a lot of versatility in the way that I think I think it I think it has ageability as well. 
and might end up, if you take it as a dessert wine, to show similarities that you would get from, like, Sauterne. I think that it, it could be pretty pretty bold. That's that. an interesting take on it. Like, I would take that and age it with, like, a like dry-aged, like, Wagyu or something like that. It would be... So how do you think this wet, wet year is going to affect us in a couple of years? We're going to see a little bit more scarcity of wine because of how squishy everything was. Yeah, squishy is the technical yeah, term. Yeah, potentially. I think it has a lot to do with how disciplined are you in picking your grapes. You know, if you're not actually out there back-to-back because you know what it is and you want to continue to pick those grapes, then, yeah, there is going to be some scarcity because there's some laziness. Mm-hmm. You know, so if people aren't going to put in the work to do that, then, yeah, you know, there's that. And unless you're a new winemaker, you know, if you're a new winemaker, you might not have dealt with this this yet, so you're still trying to figure out those ways. Um, well, most importantly, Virginia wine is, I think, just as much quality as any other as any other terroir, and I think we are really, really getting to the point. Like in Keter Ridge, oh my God, it's the Pinot Noir, like from from mm-hmm. Amherst, Virginia. Oh my God, that that Pinot Noir, and even their Chardonnay is almost Burgundian in style. It's really, really beautiful, solid. So I don't. I think they're doing great stuff as a on a, on a like a down low level. Like yeah, not a lot of people like are aware of Ankita. I went out there right before they even had like the infrastructure they have now mm-hmm. and they were producing good wines then. So I'm sending you out of the room cause I have questions. I have asked one more. Yes, uh, of course I'm you sorry. did. I'm so sorry. No, he's, he's a little in awe. I wish you could hear a conversation before you got here. He's like, I have all these things. And usually he's like, mm, let's talk about onion rings. No, I'm joking. <laughs> in your position now at Lemaire, you're obviously it's, it's like the best hotel in Virginia or, you know, one of the best in the country, um, among the best, in the, no, not in this room. In this room, it's the best in Virginia. We're not going to argue it. Um, I mean, maybe you've heard of the Jefferson Hotel. I mean, it's pretty nice. Yeah, it's pretty nice. If I'm a guest at the Jefferson yeah. or just a diner at La Mer, what are some common mistakes I might make that might lessen my experience? Like, what kind of knowledge should I have coming in? What what are some um, missteps that you see people make in either their ordering or in just their... So they probably shouldn't do crab cake, crab cake, steak, crab cake like I like to, right? Mm, I think the biggest mistake is not doing what you want to do and assuming that you need to come here and be a particular way. We, we're in service. We're, we're here to make sure that we can guide you. Um, if you know exactly, or you think you know exactly what you want, then by all means, we will, we will meet you there. But if you, what I what I will say is, do not be afraid to ask us questions. We're here for that. We want to answer those questions. Uh, we spend the time kind of doing the work and putting together menu descriptions and sitting down and reading and researching on our own personal times to make sure that we can answer your questions when you come. So don't. Don't come in with any preconceived notions that you have to be a particular way to have dinner with us. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Those are the missteps that I tell people. Um, I would caution folks to make sure that if you're going to eat something that's rich and starchy as your appetizer, that maybe you want to split um, what your entree is going to be because you're probably not going to have the appetite to enjoy it all the way through. 
then again, when I go out <laughs> and eat something rich and starchy, I usually go right in, you know. I might start with steak and potatoes, and for dessert, I might have steak and potatoes. Actually, I had a lady had a crab cake as a dessert one day, and it blew my mind. I don't, I'd she, like to meet her. Yeah, she is my spirit. <laughs> yeah, like, she is I, everything. I, I would like, are you sure it wasn't me? <laughs> I mean, because I am there for that. That crab cake is good. You're ready. You're leaving. I've got things. All right. Bye, Scott. We'll see you later. All right. So I have only three questions. Okay. Make Scott go out of the room. I asked him these questions already. Mm -hmm. um, and, well, it's a fun situation. So they're easy for you. They're going to be easy for you. So don't get – this is not – so where, if you're looking at a plate, does your knife, spoon, and fork go if you're setting the table? Oh, if you're if you're setting mm -hmm. a table, oh your your knife and spoon are usually to the right, mm -hmm. and then your fork are to the left. Unless it's dessert, then your spoon is up top. Exactly, you got it. <laughs> See, and why do you know why that is? Why? Mm -hmm. Those things are that way. Particularly, not all the way, but I do I do know that you're always any any liquids you're serving from the right. So you would want to have your spoon there. Mm -hmm. The knife has a lot to do with people threatening the king back in, in history. <laughs> You're exactly right. Yeah, so they didn't, they didn't want to have the knife ever in a position where it could be pointing out that it mm -hmm. could seem threatening. So it would always technically be pointed to the plate. So that's it. So it was, it was less easy for somebody to slip it into a rib. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So tell me, if you're opening a bottle of wine... Mm -hmm. For what is the first thing you do to the guest? Oh, we well, I would I would go back over with that bottle of wine, present it, make sure I, I talk about what vineyard it's from, just to confirm. Um, the biggest thing here is also confirming that vintage. Yeah. So the name, the varietal, and vintage, or for it straight up. And Perfect. if any of those things are off, then we're going to make sure. We're going to start over again, yeah. right? We're going to present a different bottle of wine. See, I told you it was going to be easy, though. You ought to hear his answers. They're the greatest. I mean, it's the greatest. And I actually learned so much when we asked these questions. All right, Scott, he does all his things. You got, you, you got your work cut out for you. Are we doing this right now? No, we're right, not. Right. <laughs> Unless he wants to hear no, them. Because no, no, no. <laughs> that's, everybody likes to hear You can hear Scott's the final answers. edit. <laughs> oh, By everybody, it means Roby likes to hear it. He did great. Uh, we also talked Are we about. Surprised? No, we're not no. surprised. I will tell you, there's a lot of history in, in one of the questions I asked him when we got into like why you should be shouldn't be jabbed with a knife. Tell us, uh, tell us about your music career and how it uh, how you got started. Um, yeah, I guess I started music when I was really young. Um, but yeah, about seven, I would just kind of write for freedom of expression. But I was really afraid of it. I didn't necessarily want to. I didn't know how to take that to someone, like to my parents or anyone else, and be like, hey, you know, do this thing, uh, do this thing. Not not that they would shun it, per se. Like, they were always, like, very happy for me. Like, we did, like, I think one of the local network stations and did they had this um, show called The Poet Head, so I was really young. And my dad would always encourage me to, like, write. My mom would, too. Um, so, so I did that. And afterwards, I guess, it wasn't really until, like, junior year of college where I was, oh, man, I, I really should record. And it was more to kind of help me where, where I was, like, mentally. I was just felt, like, very blocked and that I wasn't really accomplishing everything. 
that I could and was I living for myself or was I living for someone else's dream that you know all, all of those kind of you know those existential uh-huh. questions did something specific trigger that or was it just kind of like teen angst or like 20 something angst I, I, I think it was more of I am here with these people who have had money for a long time do I want to get do I want to want to come out of here with all of this prestige and be broke for the, for the rest of my life? Do do I want to come out here and then fight to feel like I'm equal to these other folks and then hate myself within at, at the end of this? Just kind of asking questions to really guide my way back to my own happiness because there's you know you go to college and you feel like or at least I felt like I knew a good amount about myself <laughs> and I did not you know I hadn't really been tested yet hadn't gone through the fire so that I think that was the spark more the trigger for me I'm wanting to be able to complete something from start to finish that was my own from like my own vision from my own head um I usually create my own shows uh, at this point if, unless we're doing festivals so what I've been trying to do is a lot of shows that have whiskey tasting aspects to them or just kind of an introductory way. Um, the the tag that we've been using is accessible quality. So letting folks know that you really don't have to pay $80 for a bottle of something up here. You can just go drink this old Forester and it's going to be really nice for you. It's smooth. It's easy for people to have. So to take that kind of education outside of just this, the industry, be able to give that back to people. So if I was looking for you, I could find you at Mr. Chance Fisher, mm-hmm. like Bobby Fisher. That's, that's what I just said. Or over at La Mer, which is at La Mer RVA. No, at La Mer Richmond. Richmond. At La Mer Richmond. You are listening to Eat It Virginia with Roby Martin. I am at Call Me Roby and Scott Wise, who is at under Scott underscore Wise, or as I've been calling him for the last couple of days, Swise. If you want to reach out to us, you can reach out to us at Eat It Virginia on Instagram or at WTBR CBS 6. Want more food in your ear? Subscribe to the podcast or find us on Twitter at Eat It Virginia, Instagram at Eat It Virginia, or Facebook at Eat It Virginia. And now back to the show. So these are the questions that I asked Chauncey during our interview when I sent you out of the room. That was a fascinating interview, by the way. Uh, what a dude. I, I mean, we actually probably need to have two because he's really, really fascinating. Here are the questions. Did he get them all right? Yes. Of course he did. Yes, he went to Cornell. Mm-hmm. I went to Syracuse. They're only an hour away on the interstate, but much farther in the academia. He, we, he actually brought up some history at one. That oh, was Lord. pretty cool. I'm in yeah. trouble. All right. When you are setting the table, yes. where do your knife, fork, and spoon go? On the table. That wasn't my answer. I'm visualizing. <laughs> wow. So I know shoot, the forks are together and the knife and spoon are together. Okay. So they're, that's how they're grouped. They are. Um, I'm going to say the forks on the right and the knife and spoon on the left. That is incorrect. Damn it. I'm going to say, I'm say the, the fork's on the left and the knife and spoon on the right. That is correct. Okay. That is correct. 50-50. Yeah, yeah. I, I just for sure. I mean, do you eat? I don't set the table quite often, uh-huh. but I do eat. So, next. 
if you are serving wine to a guest at a restaurant okay. or you are having wine served to you and you've ordered a bottle, what is the first thing the server should do? Show you the label. Boom! Okay, I so have I, ordered I, wine I, at a restaurant. I, I, you know what? I should have known. What else did we get asked this week, Scott? We are, people want to know where they can bring folks on a first date or even just a date in general. Um, so here's a couple of good ones. So Roland's has started a Wednesday night Italian night. So you get a bunch of food for 20 bucks. And a bottle of wine or does that come extra? There's wine involved. Nice. Yeah, I know, nice. right? Super Very fun. Good find. Roland's is in the fan. It is in the fan. Not on Roland because it moved, but close to Roland Street, yes. And then did you know about the $5 bourbon and $5 burger deal at the Savory Green? No, tell me about it. Monday nights, you can get a bourbon for $5 and a burger for $5. That's perfect. I feel like that's like like made for you. That's a $20 date for everything. Love it. I know. Very cool. And then let's talk about the $29 every night at Dutch & Company. Uh, You know, I've I've yet to go to Dutch & Company. Every time I want to go there, something happens to come up, and I don't don't make it. So tell me about Dutch & Company. Will you, and presumably whomever you're with, even the whole table. Sure, your brother. That's great. I like him. Um, you guys can eat three courses for $29. And what usually would you get when you go to the perfect egg? What makes it so perfect? It's delicious. That's why it's perfect. Right. I can't even tell you what they do to that thing. I don't know. They encase it in gold. I would assume. And then another fun thing, which I feel like you and your brother will be all about the $68 steak night at, I don't know how to pronounce this restaurant. Aloy, Aloy. Wow. <laughs> what do you think? None of the above. I don't Maybe know. Not. A-L-O-I. So they have a ribeye for two with the best potatoes you can think of, like little baby mashed potato tater tots. And it's over in Scott's Edition? It is. Sexy looking restaurant in there. So you really should probably bring a date and maybe not your brother, but I don't know. Does he like sexy restaurants? He's pretty sexy. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, wow. That's a, that's a whole swise thing I didn't even know about. It's very cool, Scott. So earlier in the podcast, Roby, we talked about Strawberry Street Cafe closing, reopening. That opened up a lot of uh, emotion this month on Richmond social media, different message boards, chat rooms. People still go to chat rooms? I don't know. Yeah, Reddit. Uh, uh, Twitter. Is that a chat room? The front page of the internet. You have an opinion about this because you you see a lot of this this stuff happening on social media and you want to chime in. So I usually end this with a bit of a rant, but right now I'm just sad, Scott. Not... Not sad that Strawberry Street's closing. I can't tell you the last time I went to Strawberry Street. I actually probably am one of those people that should have gone and didn't. But I am sad about the reaction that people are having with regards to the closing of this restaurant. And what reaction are you seeing most? Mean. Mean. Mean old reactions. Mean, mean, mean. Toward whom? Uh, The individuals that have decided to make this business step forward, which has to be tough to begin with, right? You put all of yourself into something Decide that you need to change it because it may not be working. And you know what? It's not like we've opened up the books at Strawberry Street and we know whether or not they're making millions of dollars a year, right? Do you know this? I do not. Did they open the books? I I would assume that if they opened the books, the news people would be the first ones to see it, and they didn't, correct? We did not see it. Exactly. So what you're saying to me, or not you specifically, but the individuals that have gotten mean online, is that you're mad at people that have decided to do what's best for them. That's your opinion. And it's not a nice opinion. I even saw someone go so far as to call them bad names. Because they the have new made owners. A, yes, they have made a business choice. And that, that's just not cool. You may have loved that bathtub. And great. I love that you love that bathtub. 
perfect. It's a part of our Richmond dining. It was on Jeopardy. And you know what you can go do? You can go see that bathtub at the Valentine Museum, where you can pet it, maybe even get in it. I don't really know. William Martin, let us know if they can climb inside that bathtub and take pictures. I'm great, great. Bathtub still in Richmond, Scott. Still here. We have to move forward at some point. Don't you agree? Uh, I absolutely agree. And we don't even know, you know, if the new owners had to come in to purchase a place. The place might have closed anyway. It might. You're exactly right. We have absolutely no clue what the fate of Strawberry Street Cafe is. And maybe, maybe, carrying that thought a little further, maybe Derek Salerno and Aaron Sisk are keeping something alive and you don't even know that. So let's, let's remember the past, appreciate the past, and look forward to the future. People, just be nice. Just be nice. Can you just be nice? In the meantime, the restaurant... The current Strawberry Street Cafe is open until March 31st, so... Brunch service? You can go dig into the lettuce. And yeah, you the have a few more days. Clawfoot. So there you go, guys. Be nice. Be nice. You've listened to Eat It Virginia with Scott and Ruth. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network. This episode of Eat It Virginia was brought to you by your locally owned and operated McDonald's restaurants. National First Responders Day is October 28th. Show your first responder ID for a free sandwich.